Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So welcome to a, uh, a double bill here on Wild Wild Podcast. I think this might be our first double bill. Where So we're continuing our look at the films of Luigi Cozzi. And today I thought it would be fun to try and do both of his Hercules movies. And I'm really hoping that Rod can tell me what the plot was. <laughs> I, th- I think... These films. I think with with a with a little help from from notes, I can probably yeah. do that. Yes, you can try and piece it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, At least with the first film. With the second film, it, it, we're not doing two films, Adrian. Let's say this up front: we're doing about <laughs> one film and about a third yes. of another. That's what we're doing. That's true. Um, the yeah, these are fun, but. Uh, I should also say, as we're in December now, I'll say Buon Natale to you, Rod, and to all our listeners, oh, just in case, just in case I don't manage to get another episode out before Christmas. Um, and we, last time we were discussing the uh, the Black Friday sales and all the things that were on offer, mm-hmm. uh, particularly from Severin. Did you uh, get everything that you wanted to get? Um, I got everything that I really felt like I could afford. Uh, well, that's true. Uh, that's, not the, that's not the same thing, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's not. I, 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 uh, I, I did feel I, you know, I had to get four flies on gray velvet because that's the yes, that's the uh, the big daddy of those various sales, and um, there were uh, a number of other um, things from. Uh, geez, what was it? now? I can't. Oh, that's terrible. Now I can't remember. Part part of this is that I try to push this stuff out of my brain until it shows up in the mailbox, so I can be happily surprised. I'm like, oh yeah, that. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's impossible to forget forget the the four flies thing. But the uh, the really exciting thing I think was the uh, unexpected announcement that Vinegar Syndrome was putting out. Uh, Santo versus Doctor Death. The, oh uh, yes, I thought of you when I saw that. Oh yeah, that's that's the only Santo movie that we've ever covered on the. Uh, on the Nashi cast, uh, mainly because so oh. many Paul Nashi uh, 
supporting actors show up in it, uh, including Helga right. Linnae and a few others. And it's a uh, it's it's a pretty impressive film. It's uh, it's from uh, the Santos period where his movies were very much influenced by the Euro spy uh, genre. Yeah. So it, uh, there were there were a number of uh, number of years there were Santo films, those glorious luchador films from Mexico. Uh, were essentially, uh, you know, James Bond ripoffs in the best way you can imagine. Yeah. So, uh, uh, for those curious, uh, Santo versus Doctor Death is a good jumping on point for those of you who want to see your uh, your luchador in turtleneck sweaters. So, <laughs> yes, I'm sure that can't be the uh, the only Santo film. It seems like if you're going to do one. You may as well do loads. So I would imagine they they probably got some more in the pipeline. I would hope so, but it's hard to know. Uh, I know that um, is it Indicator. I, Indicator is about to bring out in January. Yes, the and first er, er, two like earlier films. Yeah, the very yeah. Fir- the very first two Santo films from the uh, the fifties. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong; those are those are well worth seeing, and I cannot wait to uh, get my hands on those on those Blu rays. But. Um, the really good, juicy, you know, long-lasting, flavorful Santo stuff yeah. <laughs> really kicked into high gear in the '60s. And once they kind of got a handle on how they were going to handle him as, as essentially a cinema superhero, and uh, I think it's uh, you know because I think if memory serves, I think I've seen like that first El Santo film from way back, and it, it's almost as if he's it's almost as if they didn't really know how to handle him or what to do with him. Because he's almost like a supporting character in his own movie, where he essentially, you know, he's in the background until crap starts to go down, and then he they, they call him in to like you know rough up all the bad in, guys in and the background, wrap up the in plot. the background, fight fighting some guys in a, in a ring. Well, I mean, I don't even remember. That, that's what's terrible is I, 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 I it's been so long since I, I saw a uh, a terrible doopy version of uh, those first couple of Santos film Santo films long ago. I can't even remember if we got you know because there's a wonderful rhythm that the, that those films got into. All the Luchador yeah. films where you know you you had you know all the stuff that was going on with their regular life, which means we got to see them in the ring, you know, in their various wrestling bouts, and then uh, you had the the uh, the insane plot that was actually I driving guess. what pit people came to the cinema to see. Uh, if if you get lucky, both halves of those film, both halves of a of, of a Santo film can can be a joy, and it, a lot of it just depends on you know how dynamically the uh, the 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 ring stuff was shot by the director. You know how how inventive did they get with their camera work? How much time? Maybe that's just down to how much time they had to film the stuff. Well, did, did they quite. just set one up and shoot it or what? You know. This is a, a good excuse to plug my other podcast, Second Features, because about a year ago we did do a Santo episode. We did the um, the sexy Santo film. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Vampire and the Sex, is it called? Mm-hmm. Um, so we covered that with uh, Dr. Dolores Tierney, who's actually Professor Do- uh, Dolores Tierney now, uh, from the University of Sussex, who's written a lot about Mexican cinema. So, um, yeah, we had a pretty good dive into what, was going what santo films are all about so uh, yeah I'm, I'm intrigued i've only seen that one so i definitely need to check out some more but they of course were an influence just to bring things back to italy uh when we get to the uh fumetti films which we will eventually um there are some in there that are directly influenced by 
the Santo kind of luchador films, particularly mm-hmm. something like uh, what's it called, Super Argo versus Diabolicus, I think it is, where oh yeah, Super Argo is like a masked wrestler basically who's also an invincible hero, and you know, so they, there was definitely an influence there. And I think is it three three Supermen, I think is very much like a luchador movie. But uh, so yeah, so the uh, you know, all of these things well, they all join up together eventually. But yeah, they are fun, and it, it's interesting to see Santo films getting more of a uh, English friendly releases at, at last. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Severin obviously the thing that's connected for us is that, that they were putting out the Blood on Melier's Moon and uh, the Little Wizards of Oz, is it called, by Luigi Cozzi. So a couple of his most recent movies. So I'm excited to get that, and uh, mm-hmm. we can talk about that, and especially because of the the documentary, which I think will be good to see at last. But um, so coming round to uh, to this week, so we're talking about Hercules and the Adventures of Hercules two, um, and we were we were bemoaning in the last episode the fact that the original Steve Reeves Hercules films are not on Blu-ray yet. And it does seem funny that those are not, but these are. Which uh, I don't know. Are they on Blu-ray in the states? I know over here they were released in a. There's a triple disc set by 101 Films, which actually Luigi Cozzi's name is not anywhere on the box. It's advertised as the Lou Ferrigno collection <laughs> oh, because really? of its. It's got the two Hercules films and then Sinbad of the Seven Seas. Oh, that that's a um, that's a that's a weird film. I know way yeah, too much about which that film. Is also so... as also a li- yeah, which Cutsy was also involved with. Yeah, but um, yeah, so it's a triple triple bill Luferino collection on Blu-ray, and they're not. I mean, it's just basically a pretty straightforward transfer. It's not like any kind of major restoration, and there's almost zero bonus features. But still. We have these on Blu-ray before we have this, the the uh, the the world-changing uh, original Hercules films, which seems a shame. But that is weird. But I, I, it's have. even stranger that uh, I mean the the uh, the sadly now out of print Shout Factory Blu-rays of the two Kotzi uh, Hercules oh, films. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they're both just recently out of print, just uh, in the past oh, few months. Okay. Uh, that's that. It, it's uh, it, it, I, I, there's a there. There's some really nice extras on both of them. To be honest with you, the the centerpiece of which revolves around some pretty juicy interviews with uh, Luigi himself. Oh, as, yeah. Oh, as well that's as a shame uh, that they shame they didn't get those on this this set then either because this has just got the trailers and that's it. Hmm. Well, it, it's it's. Uh, uh, on the on the first film, there's a, an interview with Luigi, and also they talk with the the film's set designer Anto, uh, Antonelli Jalong. Jalong. I'm gonna. I'm obviously mispronouncing his name, but I'm an impre- I'm impressed by his work, of course. <laughs> but the uh, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, both of those both of those discs are now out of print. I don't know that they're necessarily fetching huge amounts of money on the secondary market as yet. But uh, yeah, I would I would assume that that would make these these releases the the best in the world considering that they have extras and they look fantastic i mean they really do look fantastic and uh the uh hey okay here's the here's the real question okay there's a there's a series of questions i'm going to go through them like this what 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 are your feelings about 
about the peplum genre in general, Adrian? Uh, I'm a fan. I mean, there's a lot that I haven't seen, mm -hmm. but I have certainly enjoyed all the ones I have seen. And um, I mean, as I've mentioned last time, you know, I, I wrote about peplum films in my PhD thesis, and right. that was that was for me that was kind of exploring new territory. I didn't know much about them before I started that, so I was reading a lot of stuff and. I watched quite a, a number of the films at the time, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's great fun, and um, and it, yeah, it just surprises me how sort of commercially neglected they are these days. And and I guess that with this film, these films come under the uh, the banner of neo peplum, I guess. Yeah. The sort of resurgence of peplum in the eighties. Although Luigi Cozzi was furious that critics called this a peplum film and that he was trying to revive the peplum genre because he said that he wasn't it was uh he's more it's more going for a ray harryhausen vibe with uh with this film yeah than I, trying I, to revive the peplum thing i can understand why he um why he reacts that way but at the same time i mean it is isn't it? it's a hercules movie i mean what are we supposed to say yeah. <laughs> come on cut us a little slack yeah. here it's pretty obvious yeah so i mean for you i'm guessing you you've had more sort of growing up with peplum films they play on american television a lot didn't they not as much as you might think oh okay i, I mean i did. did don't get me wrong don't get me wrong there were the, there were there were the occasional sightings of um, a hercules movie of one type or another on on uh, you know saturday or sunday afternoon things of that nature uh, but they but they were kind of a I, I have no firm memories of which ones I saw. None of them made enough of a lasting impression to actually be something that years later, when I'm when I'm actually going through them as an adult, I get you know I get a flash of recognition from or anything like that. So what I end up with is just having a kind of affection for the genre as a, as a kid, and uh, that that being able to be built upon as an adult when I go back and I start actually paying attention to them and really kind of you know digging into them, and so that's why. Um, I don't think the I, I, I don't think the eighties were the right time for an attempt to bring this kind of movie back to the big screen, no matter what they thought was uh -huh. happening. I mean, don't get me wrong, we all understand that, you know, the massive success of Conan the Barbarian was, you know, something that you know immediately put dollar signs in, in low budget producers' eyes. But the um the, the that film brought to the brought to the table something that I think that um, low budget producers really really couldn't really couldn't uh, match which wouldn't be that much of a shock which is just you know the 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 spectacle that could be put on put on display I mean you know the uh, the we're not we're not talking Ben Hur style stuff here but we are talking about uh, a film on a, you know the first Conan film is you know, unapologetically R-rated and 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 willing to actually yeah. you know dig hard into the the pulp nature of the stories that are being told and um the um although one could say that uh Italian producers didn't necessarily ever shy away from that kind, you know being you know hardcore as the you know as the youngins say from what I'm told uh Do they? <laughs> I, boy, I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> the um, the thing about this is that uh, in general, the if if you're 
if you're looking back at the films made in the late 50s and early 60s, that, that short cycle of uh, sword and sandal films that actually did get popular over here in the States for a little while, uh, what you're mostly paying attention to is the fact that those played primarily to kitty matinee audiences. Yeah. So, you you know, while Conan the Barbarian by John Melius may be like the grown-up version of this kind of thing, um, you you, you got to remember R-rated films are you know you you got a you've got a hurdle to get over to make a whole lot of money, and so you don't necessarily want to go uh, R-rated. You want to go slightly softer than that, and at the time, slightly softer meant PG, and PG meant uh, there were certain things you could do, and there were certain things you couldn't do, and so adhering to the kind of I hate I hate to use this phrase, but slightly more friend, friend you know family friendly kind of approach was probably going to be the best way to go and in that respect I you know it's very easy to see why Luigi Cozzi might think hey you know the best way to go here is Ray Harryhausen because Harryhausen's films yeah. were always you know they were always family friendly uh, but they were you know they were incredibly fun they they were adventures they were exciting and if he could yeah. just find a way to mimic uh, you know, something like uh, the Sinbad movies or uh, Clash of the Titans or anything like that, then, you know, surely, surely large amounts of money would flow into his pockets. Mm. But something and happened think, along the way there, did. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the first Hercules films was quite financially successful for canon. So, I mean, let's, yeah. yeah um, the, the first one was, in was terms a of being, success. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of being PG, I mean, this, yeah, with the, this film, uh, I described, I, I was watching this, um, my wife watched some of it with me, and we both had a good laugh, <laughs> and they're saying it's like a film written by a seven-year-old, uh -huh. you know, how you get kids kids telling you stories, and they're just making it up as they go along, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then he went there, and then he did this, and it doesn't really make any sense. Correct. And it's like it's, it's written like a seven-year-old, but it's clearly directed by a thirteen-year-old boy. Because um, <laughs> although it is a PG, it's about as there's about as much uh, female, well, and male skin on display as you can get away with in a in a PG. Yes, exactly. Um, and some of the costumes that the women are wearing are just absolutely hilarious. Oh yeah, uh, Sybil Danning, Sybil Danning, obviously. But even uh, he meets this witch or sorceress called Cersei, and the costume she's got on. Honestly, I was just laughing all the, every time. <laughs> the, the costume she's wearing is pretty funny stuff. Um, so yeah, so Canon. I'm assuming everybody knows pretty much who Canon was, but are you able to sort of briefly summarize? The significance of canon or why it's kind of interesting that this was a canon film oh my lord the significance of canon is far too large i mean we would we would need an entire podcast just to discuss yes. that but i will briefly say well, that I, I, I believe there are i believe there are some there are more than a few actually yes yeah. <laughs> uh canon films was uh, a pair of producers israeli producers uh last names golan and globus mm. who uh let's just say for 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 people who were teenagers in the 1980s uh, the films that they created through Canon, uh, Canon Group, the Canon Films that uh, uh, we could, you know, you, you could rattle off a long list of titles. They kind of define action cinema in the '80s in a way that uh, would make you think that they were 
I don't know that they were, you know, major, you know, you know, they were, you know, MGM or Paramount or Universal or just something yeah. along those lines. And yet they were this young up, they were this independent upstart company that built itself and, uh, uh, you know, built itself up into what it became. And it's really impressive what they, what they managed. And when you go down the long list of the films that they produced, um, this, the, 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 these Hercules films kind of stand out as something slightly different, but it is amusing to to learn how uh, invested they were in it, how much they how much they uh, they thought about. Um, I mean, they produced lots of different kinds of films, but what they're remembered for are uh, films that could best be summed up as um, uh, stalwart silent men with guns fighting criminals. Yeah. So that's you know that's essentially the the, the standard for a, for a canon film in the eighties. Yeah, but they did a lot of family movies as well, didn't they? Yeah, they, they were did. basically. But they, they they grew so fast, and they started buying. They bought there was a Canon cinema chain as well, wasn't there? So they were buying cinemas, and they seemed to be so dominant. And then I think they just expanded too quickly and kind of felt fell apart, which is a shame. But I remember like stuff like obviously connected with this was um, the He Man film they did, Masters of the Universe. Oh yeah, which I I remember going to see at the cinema when that was out in about eighty six. And was very excited to see. <laughs> Didn't they also? Because I mean, Hercules is very much. Although he mentions um, Ray Harryhausen as in, as an influence, for me it feels like I'm watching the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Mm-hmm. There's a very clear influence, I think. And didn't Canon end up doing yes Superman four? Yes, I think that was yes, Canon, indeed they did. It's it's as if someone yeah. dared them to prove that Superman three could could be the least. Uh, could 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 go from being the the worst Superman movie to something that that was actually slightly better than the oh, one that they produced. Superman three, it was always my favorite one of the films. But but it has, I mean, it, again, no maybe way, it's because no I was too young. I was too young. Perhaps. But it, but there's I, absolutely no way to not to to watch Superman four, the quest for peace, and know oh, that things yeah. have gone seriously off the rails. And uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. It's uh, so uh, yeah it's yeah. But yeah, so Canon obviously very significant and uh, really fascinating story behind Canon, and there's documentaries about them, and there are books about them, and all sorts. But so um, so Luigi Cozzi managed to uh, I think he wrote the script, and Canon were all you know all for it and helped him to get Lou Ferrigno, who was his first choice uh, for the film, um, and he's also teamed back up again with um what was his name we talked about him last time armando uh, valcada was it who did all the special it. effects oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, was it Val- who did all the special effects for uh yeah armando valcada he we talked about him because he did the um the amazing special effects for godzilla <laughs> and uh, but obviously he did he did he did star crash as well and he uh yeah, this is very much in the Star Crash mode. We've got stop motion going on, and mm-hmm. most of the film is set in space for some reason. Um, there's a lot of space stuff going on in this movie. Well, it was if nice the, to actually have those interviews with Luigi Cozzi explaining that uh, for him, you know, for him, his a lot of his inspiration for 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 the writing of this of this film and and the look of it and and how and what he did with it were essentially the Ray Harryhausen films and the incredibly successful Superman film from 78. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, once you've seen the film, it's like not, not that hard to pick up on the various no. things that he's um, 
I'm going to use the even word the, borrowed. Yeah, even the music in this film sounds Feels, yeah. like Superman. Yeah. Um, the music was by... Oh, it's by Pino Dinaggio. Pino Dinaggio, yeah, yeah, and and then they just used exactly the same score for the second film. Didn't write any new music, just used it all again. Well, I have to say, in this respect, I mean, the score is is good enough that I think reusing it in the sequel is probably your smartest move. Yeah, it's very good. I'll be putting some of it in here. Uh, In fact, let's do it now. Here's the theme. Yeah, the score is great, but it's very Superman. Mm-hmm. It's very John Williams. Um, and shall we mention some of the, the cast? We've got, I think, we've got a brief cameo. I think he's only in one scene from Brad Harris, which makes an interesting connection considering Kotze is saying, "I'm not bringing the peplum back," <laughs> and, <laughs> and yet then he brings Brad Harris in. <laughs> you've cast Brad Harris, yes. Yeah. And that's <laughs> what like, do you remember, minute. Brad Harris? What do you remember Brad Harris from? Oh, good Lord. Brad Harris? Roughly seven billion different movies? Um, yeah. For me, for me, it's the his film Samson, because that was one of the ones I wrote about. Okay. So I, I've got an original press book, a UK press book of Samson. It's got Brad Harris written across <laughs> the front. Uh, and Samson is really fun. That one has got... Um, oh, why is my brain not working? Serge Gainsbourg is in that one oh, as really? one of the bad guys. Yeah, he gets eaten by uh, crocodiles. <laughs> well, see, I so, always, I always flash on the the Commissar X films, um, because he was he was uh, Captain Tom Roland in those films, and there were like four, at least maybe even five of those. So I, I know right. him from those. He was in the Three Fantastic Supermen as well. Oh, there you go, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you start getting into a, a lot of these films. I mean, Samson, I understand, and, you know, he was in a lot. Like I say, he was he was in a number of peplums, including, like, Goliath Against the Giants, which is one of those yeah. that constantly turns up on, uh, you know, cheap DVD packs of of uh, sword and sandal films, no matter what you do, somehow or another. Uh, the, yeah. the, 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 the sight of him, you know, in a loincloth wielding a sword is not a shock even though he made lots of other uh, kinds of films. Uh, and, you know, yeah. like I say, I flash on the Commissar X films, which are, you know, essentially kind of, you know, you're a spy things from the late 60s. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, he was in spaghetti, we- you know, spaghetti westerns and horror movies. He made a little bit of everything here and there. But the, uh, yeah. Yeah, should, I, I do think it is amusing. I hadn't heard anybody put it quite that way. Is if you're going to, if you're going to complain that people are thinking your film is a peplum and you, you cast Brad, cast Brad, Brad Harris. Harris, it's like, what, what did you think people were going to say? Yes. Uh, it's just, yeah. Total coincidence. Um, 
there are some of course uh there are many beautiful actresses in the movie mm-hmm. um we should we start with sybil danning i believe this is our first sybil danning film but she of course is uh very well known uh in the world of cult movies very true um wearing oh man her costumes are unbelievable very very reminiscent of what she wears in uh battle beyond the stars i think it's fair to say true true uh, i will say that at least in at least one scene in this movie i think she she i think her left nipple was attempting to escape but <laughs> keeping it pg though right. barely barely yeah, barely barely um are you friends with sybil danning on facebook do you see you her know, facebook I don't, know that I, am. I don't really think so i oh well, man I, 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 she is the it's well worth it her facebook posts are so weird <laughs> Ooh, I am friends uh, i've said yeah. this before oh yeah i've said this before but like you could do a whole thesis on her phd uh a phd on her facebook posts like if there'll be there'll be something will happen in the news like uh i don't know like something to do with gun control or something and she'll like post an article she'll post something about it all in caps with <laughs> and and uh, with a photo of her from a movie where she's holding a gun you know or like i don't know something about the president and then she'll say and she'll post a picture of herself from one of her films and connect it to but it's just so weird the way she does it it's kind of funny but well i mean she she is um she is one of those people who it always seems as if they're they're trying to find a way to to yeah. uh, to put themselves at the center of of something just for the you know yeah, just for the attention and you know I understand really, it, but yeah, okay. Really funny. They are very funny, but uh, but obviously, I, just so many films that she's been in over the years. That, I know. I find her career so odd. There's so many. She was in so many things, and yet I I hate to put it this way, I always forget that she's in some of the things that she was in. Uh, you know, and in some cases that would be easy. I mean, she has a small role in Richard Lester's The Three Musketeers. But, you know, how are you going to remember Sybil Danning considering that cast? I mean, you know. Yes, true. You, how are you going to outshine Oliver Reed, Christopher Lee? You know, come. It's, it's, it's Faye Dunaway. It's it's physically impossible. The film has Charlton Heston. You, you're yeah. going to have to stand out. And it's like, okay, so I don't no. think of her in that. Whereas if you look at something like Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. That you can never she, forget. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she has a much more prominent role. Or, like I said, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, which is a really fun yeah. uh, Star Wars knockoff. Um, but yeah, but she's been in like she's been in Jally as well, hasn't she? And just all kinds of stuff over the years. Lots of different kinds. Werewolf of yeah. Women of the SS. Oh, that's more recent. Uh, yeah, Chain, just very loads, famously in Chain busy. Heat, by the way. Oh yeah, of course with. Um, Oh, why can't I remember anyone's names? <laughs> because it's uh, it's the wrong type. With Linda Blair, man. Linda Blair, thank you. Oh dear, she's in a like quite an early sort of Jallo film, isn't she? Are you thinking of uh, the Red Queen kills seven times? Yes, yes, that's yeah. the one. Thank you for saving me there. Well, she was also in Eye of the Labyrinth. Oh yeah, yeah. So she's I mean, obviously still working, so it seems, and still mm-hmm. just posting weird stuff on social media but uh but yeah she's always always welcome in a film she brings a kind of class 
and seriousness. I mean, in this film, it is very silly, but she's taken it very seriously. That's well, the uh, only I way to play a film about, like this. I mean, there's, um, yeah. If you try to wink at the audience, it's all just going to fly out of control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She milks it for all it's worth. A um, couple of other quick names to mention: Mirella D'Angelo as Cersei, and uh, Eva Robbins, who um, plays Daedalus. Uh, they are both in Tenebrae, so there's a oh, connection. Yeah. Back to Argento. Um, Eva Robbins was a transsexual, which might exp- I didn't read. I read that later because I was trying to work out what was going on with Daedalus's costume, and that's when I realised why the costume looked like it did. Because I thought it obviously I thought it was a female actor playing Daedalus, but the costume was just a little bit strange. And now I realise why it's because. Ava Robbins is actually a transsexual who was in a film, there was a film called Eva Man, which is Ooh. about uh, Ava Robbins being a transsexual, but then I think um, she is in, yeah, she's, I think she's one of the women in the house in Tenebrae okay. she might be the one that looks through the t-shirt that's you know, got the hole in it, I think but anyway, both in Tenebrae there is another connection, actually I'm rambling a bit here there's another connection to Argento <laughs> Uh, which is uh, when Argento was making Phenomenon he was struggling with the special effects because there's a lot of sort of process work and uh, superimposition and stuff uh-huh. and Luigi Cozzi came in as like oh I've just done a whole load of that in Hercules so Luigi Cozzi got the job to help do the special effects on Phenomenon like the flies buzzing over the house and all that stuff a lot of the sort of process stuff that's in Phenomenon was done by Cozzi on the back of what he did in Hercules. So. Hmm. Yeah, I knew he was involved in the in the technical end of things on some on some shots. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. So it's thanks to his work on this one. Because it's very much a special effects movie, this one. Uh there's miniatures, there's explosions, there's process shots, there's animation. Um, and it's that kind of stuff that honestly always wins me over in this first film. There's yeah. a this first movie, the, the the 1983 Hercules film with Lou Ferrigno as Hercules, I, I have to say, I mean, I I, mm. I always, when I was younger, I turned my nose up at it and just ignored it. Uh, but at some point, right around the DVD age, I decided, you know, they, they there was a there was a double featured disc put out by MGM that was, you know, like fifteen dollars and had both films on it. And I went, okay, you know, let's 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 check these out. I mean, I can have fun with these no matter what I do. And um, we'll talk about the second one in a minute. But the first one, oh, mm. man, there's just, it's the same feeling you get with other Luigi Cozzi films. And I'm thinking specifically of something like Star Crash, which is uh-huh. there's this overwhelming sense of enthusiasm about the story being told. And yes, the means with which he had to tell the story probably were not nearly sufficient but <laughs> that's okay when it's this fun because he j- first of all peplum films always had a tendency to be rather episodic um you know you the, yeah. the they were they were adventures and so you were moving from obstacle to obstacle essentially you know 
uh, I, I hate to put it in these terms, but something along the lines of you know different 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 pieces of a video game adventure essentially to the point where you're you know you've got a certain task you have to complete and that leads you to the next task which you have to complete which leads to the next task and on and on and on until you reach the final you know the final the final sequences of the story, and yeah. that is exactly how this movie plays out. Um, yeah. Once you get past the origin of Hercules at the beginning, which by the way is super weird. <laughs> It has absolutely zero basis in the actual Greek mythology, uh, which is something oh, that I could man, probably barely, yeah, barely any of the film matches any kind of mythology. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, you could just record me saying that phrase and drop it randomly into this episode, just you know, just at, 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 for fun, and it would be accurate no matter what we were talking about. This is true, but the uh, uh, the the episodic nature of it is something that actually helps with the the essentially keeping it both part of the genre that you the, the way you expect the you know a peplum film to be but also helps in the production in that you don't need too much uh linking material you don't need too many threads linking you from one thing to another other than you know the the overarching quest let's call it that and the you know just a, a bare thread of dialogue saying okay you know, uh, also now we have to go and you know do this and you're set you're ready you're going and and it's and it's fun yeah. that way because I found myself and I've always found myself with this with this first film I found myself just really enjoying it just kind of curled up on the couch you know having fun with this kind of movie and and. and I don't use phrases like this very often because I, I, I find that there uh, they, there was a long period of time where I felt phrases like this were overused, especially this phrase. But quite honestly, I will say I will be on the I will be on the record and say, man, they don't make them like this anymore. <laughs> and there are a yes. lot of reasons why that's true. That's true. And a lot of them are because good reasons. <laughs> Because Canon aren't around anymore to make them. <laughs> well, there's there is that too, but even nowadays yeah. when they do occasionally, I mean, a few years ago they they made a, a Hercules movie with The Rock, and it wasn't successful. You know, yeah, it was quite good though. I liked it. I still have never seen it, I, and I oh, it was pretty good actually. I kind of I kind of need to, but they're I yeah. mean they're they're not the kind of things that are going to be successful these days no. for whatever reason. No. Um. Yeah. You know, this. Yeah. Because I do think this one is fun. We also, of course, we didn't mention. Uh, Claudio Casanelli is back. Possibly this podcast's um, kind of whack-a-mole actor. We, <laughs> he's just constantly popping up. He's back here as Zeus. Yes. And um, we've also got uh, the goddess Hera, played by another Peplum veteran, Rosanna Podesta. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who did a bunch of those. She did um, a lot. She was also in the Golden yeah. Arrow for Margariti too. Oh yes. Oh, that's why I recognise her. Mm-hmm. Of course. The Golden Arrow. That's a lovely film. Oh, and don't forget, and, she was also uh, in Horror Castle, the uh, or Virgin of yes. Nuremberg for Marguerite mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, um, I mean, they just. I think you're right, though. That the sort of episodic nature of this film, and, and but obviously, you know, and most of the Hercules films in some way, that's kind of mirrored in the actual Hercules story itself. If you look at the sort of the twelve labors of Hercules, it's basically it is an episodic story he goes here and does this then he has to go do that then he has to go do that yeah and some of those labors are kind of in here sort of the main one being the cleaning of the stables by diverting a river um 
which is God. one of the labors, but I mean, it's not. It's not in the yeah. film. It's just used as a as something else. So. This is an excuse to to kiss a girl, basically. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but he's in there. It's in there. It's in there. Um, he also does a does something later on in the film. He divides the continents of Africa and Europe. I think. Mm-hmm. Great, uh, kind of creating by, the Rock of Gibraltar. You know. Yeah by um cersei making him huge so that he could push them across and again that's very much like uh jason and the argonauts where they meet neptune and he comes up out of the water and kind of pushes the rocks and all that um and that incidentally on that in that scene we meet an african king um played by bobby rhodes yeah Yeah. bobby bobby rhodes from demons and i just recently it was such a small role yeah just recently, I did a, a public screening of Demons over at the Electric Palace in Hastings. I introduced it and uh, did a yeah, had, had some themed trailers and and then yeah, we, we watched the film in its 4K restoration, and it was so fun. The audience had a great time. Oh, I was Demons a bit last, yeah. Yeah, I was worried because it's so kind of slimy, and whether that would put people off. Because I, you know, these were kind of. These were ordinary members of the public coming in to see this. Nobody had seen it before. Actually, I think one one person had seen it before and had a wry smile on their face before it started. But no one else had seen it before. And they just came along because the um, Electric Palace was celebrating its 20th anniversary. So for the whole of November, or was it October? No, the whole of October, they were screening films about cinemas. So ah. naturally I said, hey, let's do uh, let's do Demons. So it was funny to to sort of watch it with just the ordinary public, <laughs> rather than, yeah, rather than people who've been watching this stuff all their lives necessarily, and so I was expecting walkouts or complaints or, I was sort of bracing myself, but everyone loved it. They had such a good time, because you just can't help but be won over by demons because oh, it's, it's so it's silly. It's so fun. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> but so it was fun to see Bobby Rhodes pop. Uh, Bobby Rhodes pop up in this as well but anyway look we've been going for 40 minutes and we haven't attempted to summarize the plot of hercules from the depths of space comes the strongest man on earth in the super adventure odyssey hercules the incredible lou ferrigno is hercules in a battle with unearthly creatures. Hercules, the superhuman hero, with the strength of an army. Hercules, facing love and the bewitching forces of evil. Hercules, the all-new adventure. Hercules, a mythic flight of the imagination. Hercules, the legend comes alive. Incredible Lou Ferrigno is Hercules.
a Golan Globus production from the Canon Group. I've got the Luigi Cozzi book here that does kind of go through the plot. Uh, I can have a bit of a go, but I'll be honest, I didn't quite understand for the most part. There was something about a sword. So there's a kind of prologue where Sybil Danning and her dad, the evil king Minos, uh, they kill Hercules's parents or his adopted parents, I suppose, because he's a son of Zeus. Oh, you, and, you, you've skipped uh, the you've skipped the entire introduction of the gods. Oh, I know. I'm in trying this, to in be... this film. The gods, they, they, by the That's way, true. they live on the moon. The gods live on the moon, and it's uh, yes, yeah, so it's Claudio Castanelli, and um, with along so as Zeus, mm-hmm. along with Hera, and I think was it Athena, mm-hmm. and they're watching the affairs of man in their wigs. <laughs> One, I think it was. I don't know if it was Hercules or Hercules Two, but the credit for the wigs. The name of the company was just Sexy Wigs. <laughs> really? I did not notice that. That's great. Yeah, it's in the credit. I think that might be in Hercules too. Oh, that's but awesome. Yeah, the, cre- yes. the credit was Sexy Wigs. Uh, so, <laughs> how, how appropriate. Yes. They are wearing sexy wigs. And yeah, so they're kind of interfering and they, 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 they've got this problem about how to help man without interfering. And so they decide to create a, a man who's stronger than all the other men or something. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they they sort of forge Hercules out of the power of the sun, I think. Uh, There's some stuff about space. It it, it gets. And it it was going to sound strange to the listener, but it gets weird. (laughs) They send him down. (laughs) So he's this baby, and he's given to this king and queen, who we only see asleep in bed. I don't think we ever see them doing anything else, because then um, Sybil Danning and. Uh, her father they come along and they kill all the guards Mm -hmm. so that they can then kill them and Hercules because he wants to be the king this guy Minos and something about a sword they want to steal some kind of magical sword Um, but then a servant girl manages to escape with Hercules and puts him in a boat and sends him off down a river very much like Moses or uh, oh I don't know Cal-El well, exactly. I was going to say, when at the other end, eventually after many adventures in his boat and strangling some snakes and surviving a waterfall, hey, he gets if found you're a baby by and you can and you can strangle snakes, you know something's going on. Yeah. So he gets found by the uh, by the Clark, you know, by uh, the Kents, I should say. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. To to live to grow up on their farm, and uh, where somewhere he becomes, in Kansas, he becomes, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Where he spends all day pushing uh, a kind of millstone around, just like Conan, and magically turns into Lufrinio. Now, the thing that I was confused about here is that when he's sent down the river, he's a little baby. Mm-hmm. Right, like a baby who can't talk. Right. So how is he still called Hercules by these adopted parents? Like, how do they know he's called Hercules? You have hit upon the one plot problem. This film. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Let's pack up and go home. <laughs> I don't know whether he's got it. As he's, maybe it was tattooed on his bum or something. I don't know. But like, uh, that would be funny. They seem to know. know. They know he's called Hercules, but yep. I don't know how they know. Uh, that's a fine question. I'm I'm going to yeah, just assume is. that uh, the, the the divine nature of 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 the of the little one uh, 
cause them to know it or uh you know yeah. essentially somebody came down and said hey look his name's hercules call him that or you're gonna have trouble so yeah i'm glad you mentioned and, though uh, the, so, the sacred sword the, the golden sword that uh yes. turns up in the third act the sword that stops but it, I'm really fire confused by yeah i'm just confused by the swords because at the end of the film there are two magic swords and at first there's one that's on fire Mm -hmm. Uh, but in which is funny in the trailer for her i don't i can't remember if it was in the film but in the trailer when they're having that sword fight that sword makes the lightsaber sound oh in the trailer it does really in the trailer it sounds like a lightsaber i don't think it does in the actual movie if they they put that in the movie they might have gotten a a little cease and desist letter from lucas films i don't know in the in the trailer it sounds like a lightsaber but then uh, I thought that was this whole. I thought the whole point of him stealing this sword so he could get all this power, and then at the end we see him wielding. We see King Minos wielding this magical flaming sword. But then it turns out that isn't the sword. The sword that he he nicked at the beginning is still just sitting in a stone, and then Hercules pulls out that sword so they can have a big sword fight. Uh, so well, I was very confused you about paying attention to the story. The, the whole point sword... of that sword at was... the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, know what it was for. Well, the the, the sword the the sword was in place in that stone to keep that phoenix inside the volcano. Jeez, but, do you not know? Do you um, not know your Luigi Cozzi mythos? I mean, <laughs> and that's another thing. They talk about a phoenix, and then we never actually get to see the phoenix, which was sort of disappointing. No, we see a miniature volcano erupt. That's about all we get. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's a bit like the kind of Chekhov's gun. You, if you show a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the third act. Unless you don't have the money talk, for it to go off, and if they're going to talk about go Fe- yeah, they're going to talk about Phoenix. They can't then not show us the Phoenix. Come on. <laughs> um, there's there's some stock footage I noticed in this film, and it's certainly in the second film as well. And I believe in the second movie, the stock footage is from it's from George Powell's Atlantis Lost Continent. Ah, yeah at the end of Hercules 2 but when um, Minos is attacking and taking over the kingdom there's a, there's suddenly some there's like hundreds of extras running around doing peplum stuff and I assumed that's also got to be stock footage it is there's no way Kotze staged staged that just for a little flashback yeah, it definitely is so I think there's some there's some stock footage in there too um, but anyway so look He's in. He's living on the farm in Kansas, and then his dad gets attacked by a bear. And it's the most convincing man on bear fight because obviously Hercules comes to save his father, and it's the most convincing man on bear fight I've seen since Arnold Schwarzenegger in Hercules in New York. <laughs> uh, it, it's there's there's rarely been. A more awe-inspiring man versus bear fight than yeah. uh, which actually yeah because they they do kind of cut it together don't they so they've got stock footage of a bear mm-hmm. I don't know what it was it was like outtakes from Gentle Ben or something who knows oh no um, no no I do know where that's from supposedly uh, Kotze uh, admitted to this in the interview it's uh, it's footage from Grizzly oh is it okay yeah 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 <laughs> excellent so he cuts that in with. Um, Lufrenio rolling around with a man in a bear suit on the floor, mm-hmm. possibly even the same same bear suit as Hercules in New York. That would be a nice, 
Okay. <laughs> That'd be a nice bit of cinema trivia to toss out there if that were true. Yeah. But actually, that reminds me. Have you ever seen Pumping Iron, the documentary with Lou Ferrigno and oh, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, it's, it's been so years good. since I rewatched it, but yeah. Yeah, it's so fun. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I just, again, another shameless plug. We also covered that on Second Features, my other podcast, with, with an academic who'd written extensively about bodybuilding. So uh, we talked about pumping iron, and so I watched it quite recently, and the the whole thing, like this sort of comedy rivalry between Lou Ferrigno and mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, was really entertaining. And there are these shots of Lou Ferrigno in his New York gym in the nineteen seventies, working out, and it's just like the sleaziest, scuzziest dive, and all the men in the background who are pumping iron, they all look like extras from a Scorsese film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good and then you cut to Schwarzenegger in like the sun sun drenched beaches of California and it's it's this sort of uh, it's so good the kind of contrast between the lives that the two of them led I just um, so what I remember fun. what I remember most from Pumping Iron is are the conversations between uh, Schwarzenegger and Ferrigno where Schwarzenegger is so brilliant at psyching Ferrigno out it's just amazing yeah. Yeah, it's really funny. But it, you know, the, there's a lot of rivalry that's kind of played up in the film, but then by the end of the movie, they are actually just really good friends and they I think they they got on very well together. So it's quite mm-hmm. cool that they both got to play Hercules. I will say that I think Lou Ferrigno's Hercules films are better than Hercules in New York, but that isn't really hard. That yeah, that the, 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 the Hercules in New York always felt like a movie that nobody was trying very hard on, so yeah. No. <laughs> but anyway, look, okay, I'm going to just get to the ending, trying to summarize this plot. So he meets, his parents get killed. One of them gets killed by a bear. Uh-huh. The other one gets killed by a flying robot creature sent down by um, Daedalus, who is working for King Minos. Uh-huh. And uh, she, they've got these three robots that are all basically just extras <laughs> from Star Crash. And what I liked about it is they obviously only had one set of these models, one each. Probably. And so Daedalus shows Minos these models, and it's just the actual models that we're going to see animated in a minute. They're just sitting there on a table, and they're just, you know, the the right sort of scale, that these were clearly the miniatures that they were going to animate. (laughs) So we get to see them as their real size next to King Minos, and then they come down to Earth. And So one of them attacks and kills his Mm mum, And so then he runs off and ends up. He burns his house. Yeah, he burns. He, <laughs> he puts his mum on a funeral pyre, and and then he just turns around with the same torch and burns his house down. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just like, uh, and, like and, oh, oh, what okay. I love is he's got a friend. He's got a friend down there going, "What are you doing this his for?" His friends are like, "Yeah, what the hell?" <laughs> oh dear. And so he goes off to get his revenge and figure out what life is all about. And that's where he meets Brad Harris as King Orgulus, who's running a contest very similar, I thought, to uh, it's sort of Robin Hood-esque. Or even, we saw it, didn't we, in The Golden Arrow, where there's a contest and whoever gets to be the strongest or the best uh, gets to be the champion. They don't get to win the daughter of the king, although he basically does in the end. Yeah. But he's looking for a champion to go on a quest and do a thing. And uh, Hercules falls in love with his daughter Cassiopeia, who then, the whole plot, if there is a plot, 
is basically Hercules on a quest to find Cassiopeia because she's been kidnapped by King Minos, I think. Yep. To so he can sacrifice her to the volcano. And Hercules has to go on a series of adventures, fight more robots, uh, meet more, <laughs> meet more sexy ladies. Let's and, let's go uh, ahead. Let's go ahead and address the 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 robot in the room. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> before we before we dance along on past this, the 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 biggest hurdle that almost anyone, no matter how forgiving they are of films of this type, is going to have uh, is the. Um, are the stop motion robot creatures that Hercules yeah. fights along the way, and uh, it, it's understandable. And of course, it's exactly they're, they're in the movie exactly for the same reason that anybody with any any knowledge of Luigi Cozzi would 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 immediately surmise, which is that what he wanted, of course, was to include you know Ray Harryhausen style stop motion monsters in his film yeah. because that would make them that make the movie wonderful but of course yeah. time and money are against him and so he opts for uh the 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 robotic things that were you know very much what were used in star crash because they can look herky-jerky and get away with it because they're robotic and therefore as he put it you know take roughly three months as opposed to 30 years so yeah, he, and there was a, a there, there was an amused way in which he phrased he phrased it. He says if we if I, if we found a, if we found a way to do them in in real Harryhausen style, we'd still be waiting for the special effects right now. So, uh, <laughs> so and they they don't even last very long. Like Daedalus talks about how these robots are, you know, gonna beat Hercules and they're super strong and all this. And the fights themselves are very they're over very quickly. It's like a giant robot versus Hercules with a piece of wood. <laughs> and Hercules wins every time. Yeah, Hercules just f- feeds a feeds a, a a stump post to the, mur- the yeah. to, to the murderous machine god, and it dies. So yes, yeah. So it's all over very quickly, and then eventually gets to uh, he goes into hell at one point with Cersei. He has to go because every time he meets somebody and they say, "Oh yeah, I can help you," but first of all, you've got to help me get this thing. And then he'll do that, and then they'll say, "Now you've got to help me get this thing." So um, he ends up having to help Cersei to get some kind of magic egg, and she has to go to hell to get this egg or something. I forget exactly how that worked. <laughs> um, it actually reminded me a bit. One of the things I didn't like about the Mandalorian, although I thought the Mandalorian was really good, uh, the Star Wars show, but it was very much a okay. I'll help you, but first you've got to help me do this thing. Kind of shows that each episode he's yeah. having to help people do a thing so that he can get to the next point in his journey, and it's a, it's kind of very episodic. And it sort of reminded me like that a little bit. It's like Hercules just trying to get to save Cassiopeia, but first of all he's got to do somebody's decorating. Then the next person wants him to go down the shops and get a packet of bags, <laughs> and then the next person, you know, it's like he's <laughs> like, oh, can he just go and do the I thing? I can really please? use some chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so eventually, anyway, so Cersei... Oh, this also reminded me... This The film reminds me a lot of Yore as hmm. well. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, like, because, you know, he misses Cassiopeia. She's gone for most of the film because she's been kidnapped. And in the meantime, he hooks up with Cersei, and Cersei is in love with him too. But if you're a witch and you fall in love with a man, you lose your witchy powers or something. Um, 
so there's a bit of a frisson between the two of them but then she dies and her dying words are like now you can save Cassiopeia and all this and that reminded me of your when there's that awkward moment in your where there's a bit of a threesome happening and um, yours girlfriend is really jealous of the other girl and then the other girl dies and then you know all of that it just sort of reminded me of that quite a bit um, also some of the monster fights remind me of your especially in Hercules 2 where he's fighting like swamp men and stuff like that true yeah that's true I hadn't thought about that but you're right yeah. <laughs> so uh, so anyway so he gets to he finds Cassiopeia who has been kind of drugged into thinking that it's fine to be thrown into a volcano and she's dressed in she's basically just got seashells stuck to cover her modesty <laughs> yes and uh, a very skimpy kind of fringed outfit and very little else on underneath which I guess if you're going to be that close to all that molten lava you wouldn't want to have too many layers I guess it's going to be hot there surely so sort of makes sense so Hercules has to fight King Minos in the volcano and that's where the two swords come in and the lack of a uh, phoenix <laughs> um, as you can tell I'm quite I'm still bitter about that but uh, so anyway I don't want I don't know we've pretty much given it all away I don't want to be some I don't want to sound like I'm just MST 3K'ing this film because I really enjoyed it and it's it would be easy to just rip into it oh yeah as as we've kind of accidentally proved but on the plus you know there's lots of positives you know Lou Ferrigno is good all the people are really good the action is kind of you know it's got it's very fast paced there's barely a dull moment really Oh no, and um, and, and there, there's so many. I mean, we haven't even talked about one of my favorite moments, which is when he oh. the the, the cha- when he when he attaches the rock to the chariot, throws I mean, the rock so that it propels the chariot. Yeah, so he could fly. He's only got what made me laugh with that one. And oh, I do sound like I'm taking the mick, but yeah. So he's got to use this flying chariot, but the flying horses have gone missing. So he uses a rock instead. Yep, and like throws it. It's like Molnir. That, it's like Thor throwing yeah, a hammer. You know, but he's only got to get from one island to the next island but he's, instead he flies halfway around the galaxy I was about to say <laughs> the, yeah, we're out in outer space at a certain point the chariot just disappears into space and I'm like where are they going it's only just on the road um, <laughs> so that made me laugh as well but it's it's so fun can't see his heart is in the right place with, and that's what I think I love about his films Yeah, yeah. is that he's, he's not doing this just to make a quick buck like he's doing this because he loves the fantasy genre mm-hmm and um, I think somewhere in the book they call these films is it called Fantasta Mythologico uh, or, or yeah so it's a sort of combination of mythology with fantasy and then all the kind of sci-fi stuff that you've got going on as well mm-hmm. with this sort of very very spacey special effects so uh, Hercules 2 let's quickly talk about that because I don't want to spend too much longer imagination the man with supernatural strength hercules returns to save humanity from the destructive forces of evil sorcerers and magicians join forces in the ultimate master plan to rule the earth 
Hercules must summon untapped strength in an attempt to save mankind. Monsters of every description battle for the honor of killing Hercules. The goddess Aphrodite is captured by an evil magician in an effort to trap Hercules. I will find you! Heavens become a battlefield when Hercules meets his match. The incredible Lou Ferrigno in the all-new Hercules 2, The Adventures of Hercules. The legend is back. I don't want to try and go through that one in as much detail. Well, it's easier to go, it's easier to go through, and luckily now with those interviews on the the Shout Factory Blu-rays, I now oh, understand. Yeah, I now understand why the second film is such a, a pale shade. Is what it is. Yeah. Although I I still found it very entertaining. I got up really early in the morning to watch it before anyone else in my family was awake, so I was kind of slightly half asleep. Um, but it held my attention. I did not fall back to sleep at any point. So the film started out because uh, Canon asked Bruno Mattei to make a peplum film, basically, called The Seven Magnificent Gladiators, Yes. which also starred Lou Ferrigno. Uh, Ferrig- Ferrigno. I keep trying to say it like the Italians would, but I think he pronounced it Ferrigno, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Lou Ferrigno. So, yeah, so The Seven Magnificent Gladiators, they were not happy with how that was going. So they tried to fire Bruno Mattei, um, and then they asked Kotze to rewrite it and shoot some new scenes and basically finish it. And so he did, and he wrote some stuff, and then they said, actually, no, we're just going to release The Seven Magnificent Gladiators anyway. So he then just took what he'd written and wrote a completely new story around what he'd written, and that became Hercules too. Yeah, well, the funny thing from the from from the Luigi Cozzi interviews on the on the Blu-ray is that he points out that what they 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 had shot the Seven Magnificent Gladiators, and Golan and Globus, you know, saw it and were like, "Oh my God, this is terrible!" If we release this, because they were already they were already like wanting to do a Hercules film with Frigidus. Is we if we release this thing, the Hercules film, we'll, we'll never we'll you know they'll, they'll laugh us off the screen. So they held it back. And the uh, with the idea that there's got to be a way to fix this, so they they uh, they they did the Hercules movie, and it was a, it, it was successful enough. They'd already held Seven Magnificent Gladiators back, and so oh, right. and so the idea of uh, uh, shooting some stuff to insert into Seven Magnificent Gladiators so that it wouldn't suck so much. Uh, and by the way, honestly, folks, Seven Magnificent Gladiators is terrible, terrible ever. Every, I mean, it every, makes you wonder. I was just gonna say, it makes you wonder whether they had actually seen a Bruno Mattei film before they hired him. Oh, good, good question. I don't know because <laughs> uh, he was first of all he was the wrong man for the job, and yeah. it's it, it if you if you want it done in a boring fashion, then you're you're fairly you're fairly safe with Mattei. But the um, mm. uh, the <laughs> so the the thing is the the contracts that they had for for Ferrigno paid him. I forget what astronomical sum it was to shoot Hercules for to shoot each one of the movies, right? And they didn't want to pay him to shoot. Uh, so, the, so the idea was he would he would he would they they 
talked Ferrigno into taking only like something like $10,000 to just shoot a few scenes to insert into Seven Magnificent Gladiators. And Ferrigno agreed to that, and that's what they did. But then once they'd shot that in only like two weeks, Gullen and Globus got the idea that, wait a minute, if we gave you just another, you know, that, that same amount of money you just had to do this in another two weeks, we could get a whole nother Hercules movie out of this. And we don't, we don't tell Ferrigno about it. We just do it because you've oh, already see. got this Ferrigno stuff. And so that's what they did. Is Wait, so he didn't know that he was making another Hercules film? Correct. They at, at first they were wow. they were being honest with him that they were going to insert the stuff that they were shooting for the, in the stuff that you see him doing in the second Hercules film was going to be inserted into Seven Magnificent Gladiators, but along the way they suddenly realized hey we could get a whole another Hercules film out of this because this one just made a lot of money and if we can get, if we can put right. out another one we can make some more money. So they did not tell Ferrigno because then it would cost too much to have it, you know, to have him do an entire new Hercules film. So they just took what they'd shot in those two weeks and then had uh, Luigi Cozzi, who, you know, is like rolling his eyes the whole time going, oh, my God, construct another entire, like, <laughs> more, you know, 40 plus minutes of, of film to make another Hercules film. So wow. in other words... All of the stuff you see Ferrigno doing, he thought he was shooting was to be inserted into Seven Magnificent Gladiators. But what ended up happening was they concocted a whole second Hercules movie out of it and decided we can't, we're not even going to try to save Seven Magnificent Gladiators. We'll just hold off on putting that out until we can make some money off these Hercules flicks. And so the reason the second Hercules film, to my mind, kind of sucks is. Mm. It is exactly that thing that you always fear when you're watching some kind of half-baked Euro trash thing from the 70s uh, or, or, or 80s, which is you're not positive everybody had a script because, <laughs> quite honestly, they really didn't. Yeah. This was mm -hmm. all being done later on. So that's why you have King Minos being resurrected so you get william yes. berger popping up as king Dra minos again dracula prince of darkness style as well exactly. i thought that was quite good it's like a it, guy being hung upside down over uh -huh. him and then blood trickling down that was quite cool exactly and it's like there's so there's so many times within these movies where you can spot exactly the reference exactly where he's getting his inspiration quote-unquote yeah. inspiration from and in this case it's completely forgivable in my opinion because he's having to do this as quickly as he can because he's oh, suddenly yeah. got to make an entire film I mean, it works though because he does bring back Zeus. So we've got Claudio Castanelli again as Zeus. Mm -hmm. um, Daedalus is back helping Minos again. Um, uh, he's got a different. So he's got Hera and Athena helping him again as uh, yeah. Zeus, but they're played by different people. But I just uh, noticed that Athena this time is played by Lou Ferrigno's wife. Correct. So there must have been a point where they knew they were making Hercules too because his wife is playing one of the gods again so it must have come i don't know i think that, i think that, that, that it could have been easily enough it could have been easy enough to just convince everybody that hey no no this is how we're going to fix seven magnificent gladiators yeah. i don't know but it's fun again is the quest this time he's got to find the seven thunderbolts of zeus mm -hmm. um <laughs> which is madness and they're they're all hidden inside monsters or something uh as best so, we can tell sometimes they're inside a rock uh yes now, one thing I liked, um, there's a couple of fun location spotting things in this movie. 
So oh yeah, I was watching. They go to a place where there's a cave, and the entrance to the cave is a big mouth. And if you know your cult film, which most of you do, I'm sure, then that will look very familiar. And I was watching, and I suddenly realised that it's the gardens from the uh, Christopher Lee. Um, oh come on, what is wrong with my brain today? Is it Castle of the Living Dead? Oh yeah, the, the um, Christopher the... Lee and Donald Sutherland. Well, not only that, it's also you. It was also used in. Uh, it was used in a couple of different movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the one I recognise it from. So that was quite fun to see that pop up. And also at the uh, there's a moment near near the end of the film where Hercules goes to a temple, and it's the same Roman ruins that we just saw in the Heroin Busters. Oh yeah, that's true. There, there's like a big motorbike chase and a big fight around the <laughs> temple ruins. And here it's uh, yeah, it's some kind of ancient temple. So I mean, both of the films do. We haven't really mentioned that, but they make great use of uh, Italy's locations. There's beaches, there's caves, some really cool caves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a few scenes with Roman ruins and stuff like that. Like he makes great use of what was available to him, and also there's a lot of studio work in De Paola Studios in Rome. But but yeah, some great use of locations. Um, but those were a couple of things that I spotted in Hercules too that I, I quite enjoyed. He meet he makes friends with uh, a new bunch of women this time. It's Cassiopeia is no longer in the picture. The main her, the main hero this time is Urania, and she's trying to stop the evil king from uh, sacrificing virgins. I think they say they're virgins, sacrificing the local women to some kind of big electric monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, and of course, it's very easy to spot what that was from. That is, they're they're literally rotoscoping off the screen of Forbidden Planet, the id monster from Forbidden Planet. Yes. It's exactly, oh, and, yes. and he, he admits in the interviews, yeah, that's exactly what we did. Now, speaking of, okay, I'm not going to go through the whole plot, but basically he finds all these seven thunderbolts in different places. There's some quite fun stuff. Oh yeah, uh, it's, along the way. There's some fun I stuff along really the way, it. but it's it's but less it, coherent this time around. That's oh, for sure. which is which is really you know you wouldn't think possible. Um, <laughs> but then he has at the end. There's a fight at the end, which again uses rotoscoping, and I read that they so he's fighting King Minos again. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's a sword they, battle. Sword battle. Yeah. yeah, but then it turns into kind of an animated thing. Yes, and then King Minos turns into a dinosaur. And then there's uh, there's King Kong and, fighting a T Rex. Yeah, and because or... apparently that is rotoscoped from King Kong. Exactly. That whole fight. But I was like, watch this. Anything? Why is King Minos just turned into a dinosaur for no reason? <laughs> because he had to reach eighty minutes. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> and he no longer had Lou Ferrigno because he 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 he, he and he gone. had to do something. Yeah. So he He's just got to animate. Yeah. So they took. They literally just rotoscoped the fight sequence at the end of the first yeah. movie and made it the end of the second movie and added in all this all this crazy stuff like King yeah. Kong. To, to make it just different enough but it's really fun honestly I was never bored watching these movies and um, partly because I'm just trying to think what, who, where how, <laughs> like trying to keep hold of the plot keeps you keeps your attention I think for one thing um, obviously you know speaking purely from uh, the male gaze perspective the women are all beautiful again mm. in this film just as they are in the first film um, 
the action is exciting. The, the the special effects are very ambitious, and you can tell he didn't have a lot of time or money. Yeah, I think it said in the book that they used about twenty different effects houses around Europe for this movie, and some of it was done. This is nineteen eighty five, and some of it was done on video. He's done some of the um, like superimposition stuff on video, and then had that transfer to film, and you can really tell. Mm-hmm. Those bits do do not look great. <laughs> no, just... no. Because the film is shot on thirty five, and it yeah. looks beautiful in moments. But then you get to some of the composite shots that were done on like umatic tape or something. Oh, and they look and terrible. Put back, yeah. and they they're, they're so degraded and grainy, but not in a good way. They don't look good. And in which a film, is a shame. And in a film where the rest of it, especially in a in a nice remastered version, the the the, the bits actually shot, you know. On you know yeah. on locations and things like that, they look gorgeous, man. They're razor yeah. sharp and and just yeah, beautifully looks, photographed. And then, it's, the, and the lighting is very reminiscent and presumably deliberately of um, Barber's Hercules mm-hmm. as well, with the sort of coloured gels and and all of that. Um, so yeah, so it looks great, but then yeah, unfortunately, those video effects they may have been a cheaper solution at the time, but they have aged badly, which is a pity. Well, I mean, at the time, it's really the only way he could get the film finished. And, yeah. you know, he's he's concocting a movie he didn't intend to make out of material he shot uh, for a different film <laughs> to fix, <laughs> you know, to fix someone else's film uh, yeah. on a budget that is a sheer fraction of what he had for the previous movie. And so he's, you can kind of you can kind of be amazed that he finished it at all, that there's a movie there in front of you that you can watch right now that it exists is a minor cinema miracle. Uh, Luigi Cozzi is a problem solver. To to be blunt, clearly that is what he has been. (laughs) Because this is around the same, this is around the same time when he also had to go in and help out on vampire in Venice. Isn't it? I think. Oh yeah. And And I still, I need, I need to, I need to find out more about what he did on vampire in Venice. I still, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if he can even remember, but I know he was there. even only for a few days, like five different people directed that film. Oh, I know it's a, it's a hodgepodge. It's a a surprise that that movie exists the way it exists at all too. If you've got a problem, you call Luigi Cozzi and he'll solve it for you. Mainly because he's seen so damn many movies that he can just piece something together. Exactly. And because he's got this just unabashed love for sci-fi and fantasy, he started Italy's first kind of genre, sci-fi genre magazine back in the 60s, and he's just always loved that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that really comes through here, and I really like that about it, despite the fact that I had no real clue what was going on most of the time. Especially Um, not in this second one. Man, this second one. But it's but it is good. I still enjoyed it. I still gave it three stars. I think. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's, it's ent- they're both very entertaining, and uh, that's all you want really. I think in these kind of films. But uh, well, I have to say, anyway, I, I really, I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to, to have rewatched these. But I it, this reaffirms my belief that I just, I absolutely love the first one. I do. I, mm. I think it's wonderful. I think it it's it's a good uh, a good example of the genre, regardless of the time period in which it was produced. And I, I, I have always wondered why the second one is such a hodgepodge. And now that I know, I kind of have a little yeah. bit more respect for it. But I still don't. It's like I, I, I don't want to go back and revisit it. But the first one, I can imagine rewatching it. You know, two or three times a year. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. 
Well, okay, let's leave it there, Rod. I think you and I can both put our shirts back on now. And um, <laughs> Got to go get the oil off of me. Uh, it's getting chilly in here. But uh, <laughs> it's been really good to, uh, to to do this. We've got one more Luigi Cozzi film to go in our little season here, which is going to be The Black Cat. So uh, whether or not we get to do that before Christmas, I'm not sure. But we'll give it, we'll give it a good try. I was about to say, um, looking at my schedule, I don't know. But Yeah. Probably, probably not. But anyway, we'll get to it and then hopefully get to the man himself finally after all this time. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, do get in touch with us uh, via social media. All the links are in the show notes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. They're the main places or email. Uh, we're also on there as well. Um, you can buy us a coffee. There is a link in the show notes if you'd like to support the podcast and what else i think that's probably about all i've got i think um anything you want to plug rod before we go that you've got coming up oh podcast um, episodes or anything happening uh we've got our annual uh christmas horror or holiday horror episode coming out oh, this good. year what are you doing uh, what are you doing this year or is it a oh, secret we're doing the little british film uh from i think 2008 or 2009 called the children have you ever seen it Oh, okay. No, I haven't. I know it. I haven't seen it. Is that a Christmas film? It, it is uh, It is more along the lines <laughs> of a New Year's film, but it takes place okay. kind of in that in that sweet spot. Yeah, it's a 2008 film. Oh, in that sweet spot, uh, you know, kind of during Christmas vacation. Uh, right. And it's kind wow. of, it's, uh, I'll just say that it's essentially kind of an evil children movie. So... Oh, that's a good subgenre. Mm -hmm. Good little movie. Good little. Uh, it's it's a it's a British film. It's good. It's a good little flick. Mm. Recommend it. Yeah, we we do occasionally manage to get some out over here. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we shall. We'll look forward to that. And uh, yeah, thank you, everybody. Until next time. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.